Jesus is about to go to the cross. They've already had what we call the, the Passover meal, the last, the first, when he gathered the disciples together. And he says, I'm about to be crucified and all of you are going to ditch me. Remember the, you remember the passage? And, and, and Pete argues with him. You know, Pete was pretty sharp. A little sharper than Jesus. Well, well, Lord, you're wrong. He said, these other birds, you're kind of proud too. These other birds, they might leave you pointing the disciples, but not me. And Jesus said, well, actually, Pete, you're going to deny me three times. Pete said, wrong again, Lord. <laughs> Bad language. Wrong, Lord. Anyhow, he, he, argued. he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. That's a pretty good statement. Pretty good intention. I mean, it's, that's talk about denying yourself, taking up your cross. He's saying, it's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. Great confession. Of course, we know what happened. Sure enough, Jesus was right. Fast forward, John 21. So Pete and Jesus and a few others are having breakfast. This is a our story, I'm skipping by quickly. <laughs> They're having breakfast. Afterwards, Jesus looks at Pete and he says, um, do, do you really have agape for me? I mean, do you, are, you really willing to, are you really willing to go to prison, even die for me? It was a killer question. He'd been fighting his pain, his shame. We sang about it this morning. He'd been fighting that for days now. Couldn't wait to be with Jesus. Saw Jesus out in the boat, jumps into the water, swims to be with, wanted to be with Jesus. And then Jesus has to muck it all up by asking him a question. Do you truly love me? More than these? Pete couldn't answer Jesus' question because Jesus used that Greek word, do you have agape for me? You're probably aware of that. He said, no, no, I don't have agape, but I got phileo. I really like hanging out with you. You're like family. In fact, we're dear friends. We enjoy being together. I really like being with you. And Jesus said, well, we won't worry about what Jesus said. That's all I want this morning is do you truly love me more than these? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So we're already... Moving ahead here. This is, I'll get used to it. All right. Let me talk about love. Is all right? Love? A little bit? <clears throat> love starts off as kind of childish. It's legitimately. There's a normal... Leg- oh, oh, we're running ahead of me. Sorry. Tell you what. Let me point to you, all right? Is that okay? Okay. I'll just go... All right. Nobody will notice it. <laughs> To be subtle. So, there's a, there's a very legitimate, real, normative, ideal love that is childish. It, it's childish. For example, I loved my dad. When I was three, I loved him already and, and the reason was easy. I loved him because he first loved me. It's just, it just real simple. My dad, so I can't even talk about it. He came home from work. And we went for walks and 
We played catch. We, he liked it. He smiled at me. And shouldn't. In fact, my da- I was so aware of my dad's love for me that <laughs> when I was three, I was really nuts. I, I made up my mind I was going to do something for him. I made up my mind that every night I was going to tell my dad, I love you and I like you too. Interesting three-year-old that says love you and like you. And, and I thought it was such a good idea that I decided that when I was four, I'd tell, well, I, when I was three, I'd tell him three times. So I would do it. I'd go into his room every night. He's trying to go to sleep. And I'd, I'd go in and I'd crawl up next to him in bed. I'd say, Daddy... I love you and I like you too. I love you and I like you too. I love you and I like you too. And the reason I said it three times is because I was three. And I decided when I get to be four, I'll tell him four times. And I told him. And, and when I get to be five, I'm going to tell you five times. He's real happy right now. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but, but that was in me. It was immature, childish. I mean, by the time I got to be five, forget about how many times I told him, I would, we lived on a main drag between Seattle and Minneapolis. It was before freeways. You, you don't remember that, but it was before freeways, but it was the four-lane, interstate, not interstate, whatever it was, between, between Seattle and, and Minneapolis. And, and, but we had a curb, and, and I would sit on the curb because my dad was coming home at 520. And I'd wait for him. Almost every night, I'd check the clock. And then I'd go out and I'd sit on the curb and I'd, I'd look down. Pretty soon I'd see an old <laughs> blue 49 Chevy coming, you know, down the road. I would get all excited because my dad was coming home. And I loved my dad. Is that fair? I loved him. I loved being with him. I had what Peter had. I had phileo for my dad. I liked being with him because he was good to me. But, but my love was pretty childish because all day long, I didn't think about my dad. I knew he went to work early in the morning. I didn't know why he went to work particularly. I didn't know that there was a mortgage to be paid. I didn't understand that you have to pay for food. It doesn't just show up in the refrigerator. I, 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 didn't, I, I knew he worked for Safeway, but I didn't, I, I didn't know what he did. I, I didn't ever ask him what he did. I didn't, I didn't care about what he cared about mostly except for me, but I, I like to play baseball, and I like to play football, and, and I love doing all sorts of things, even when I had to go, I mean, I went to, I didn't think about my dad all day long. I didn't, I didn't think about him. I mean, he just left in the morning, and for, I, I, I didn't wonder what he did all day. I didn't wonder what was on his heart. I didn't, I, I just, I just played baseball all day long, if I could. Did what I had to, go to school. 5.20, dad's coming home, and I, I hit the curb. Watch, because I loved him, but, but my love wasn't all that mature. It was pretty much all about me, what he did for me. You understand? Is that right? See? And that, that's normal. That's childish. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand the pressures my dad lived under to keep his job. My dad was a very moral man. Uh, he worked on the fifth floor Lewisham building, Butte, Montana, and, and he was comptroller. Blah blah blah. And and I didn't know how. The, I didn't know the stress he lived with. I didn't know what made him tick. It was just always what he did for me, <laughs> and I loved him because of what he did for me. 
And I didn't even have a clue all he did for me. I didn't know, I didn't even have the slightest idea that one night he had to stay up late, didn't come home at 5.20. He was working because his boss from Oakland had told him that the reports were due and they had to show a profit. And if they didn't show a profit, my dad was responsible for every nickel that came in, every nickel that was spent in two states with a grocery store, a big grocery chain. And, and the big boss in Oakland told him, show a profit. So my dad was forced to two choices, to cook the books, to cheat, to lie, or to get fired. That was the threat. Fix it. He thought of a third option. There was a window in the fifth floor. He almost jumped out in a moment of darkness and despair. He'd been caring so much so long. But I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the pain. I loved him. I loved my dad with a childish love. Make sense? It was immature. You expect three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds to love like that. It's childish love. But then, let, let, me, let me just transition into youthful love. See, in fact, sorry, let me back up, make a point. You can leave it the same. Um, it's very important that I underline what you're already thinking I'm going to say. Does everybody know what I'm going to say? When we entered the kingdom of God, when we changed kings and were born again, started a whole new life, old things passed away, everything is new. Remember when that happened? New birth, we call it. Everything changed. We were children, little children, spiritual children. And to be sure, we loved. In fact, we, we loved deeply from our point of view. And, and, but it was childish. It was childish. I mean, we were so grateful for what God did for us. And it made sense that, that not only he died for us, but that he knew everything. And he would guide us and help us and take care of us. And, and out of sheer faith in what we heard, we believed that God was good. We believed he died for us. We believed he would help us. And it did something in us that caused not just faith in him, but there was a measure of love for him called, I call it, childish love, immature love. It was real, very real. Very authentic. And almost everyone says, I love Jesus. And they're not phonies. They're sincere. But it's mostly about we love him because he first loved us and what he did for us and what he does for us. We all understand. And, 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 and it wasn't 520. It was 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings every week. We would show up because he was coming. And we'd, we'd sing songs and we'd listen to message from him and, and, and we loved him and we were fa and, and it was good. 
we love being with him, and then we left, and, and we don't know where he went, and we don't know what he did all week long, but we played baseball, remember? I mean, we, we did life, and, and, and we were glad that he loved us, and we'd come back next Sunday. Um, not many, you, you get it, what I'm saying, but, but we, didn't, we didn't think too much about what he was going through. We didn't think too much when we were children, when it was childish. We, we maybe didn't even have the capacity. Maybe we didn't have the moral maturity to get ourselves out of ourselves and to think about what he was thinking about and what he wanted and what he was going through. I mean, one day, you know, he didn't about jump out of a five-story window. He climbed up on a cross. I mean, he, he went through a lot. You, 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 we know that, see? But... Childish love kind of thinks mostly about myself most of the time. That's, that's just, that's normal. But let, let me move ahead here. Let me talk about youthful transitioning love. No, back it up a little. <clears throat> youthful transitioning love. That's, um, that, that's a sneaky thing that God does. <laughs> I shouldn't call it sneaky, but kind of. See, see what he does. When we're born from above, when we put our faith in him and are truly redeemed and all that we like to talk and sing about, <clears throat> he does something. He not only died for us, but he comes to live in us. He not only gave himself entirely for us, but he gives himself entirely to us by his spirit, right? And, and that's better, Jesus said, than him being next to us, John 16, 7. So Jesus, by his spirit, comes to dwell in us, and, and he helps us. He's the helper. He shows us, I mentioned righteousness. He shows us. He convicts us of what is right. And every time we hear him and do it, it really helps us, and he convicts us of sin. That's ignoring God, not paying attention to God, and, and, and helps us to realize that if we don't pay attention to God, it'll kill us sooner or later. And, and so he helps us, and we're really glad, right? So the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, and, and he guides us and teaches us, and it's really a good thing, but, but the Holy Spirit does something else. He not only shows us ourself and shows us the path we're to walk in, he shows us Jesus. He does. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would, would make Jesus known to us. And so here's the trick. We're just kids. We're, we're just, you know, we're just childish. And, and, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, he starts revealing Jesus to us. And we read scripture and all of a sudden we see things about Jesus. And we, we get to understand what it was like for him who was rich to become poor and for him to empty himself of all of his prerogatives, God, and for him never, ever, ever do anything on his own but always be dependent on all the things. We, we read about Jesus. He begins to capture our heart. He messes with us. He shows us Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you can't help but love him. That's true. The fire's going down. It's because you ain't seeing Jesus very well. But the Holy Spirit comes and makes it possible. And here's what goes on. We're, we're just trying to play baseball. We, we, we really appreciate what Jesus did. And we go to meet him at 520. No, no, 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We go to meet him, and that's good. But, but then the Holy Spirit messes with us. He shows us Jesus. And you can't help but 
not only trust him, but love for him starts to, starts to burn. Not, not for what he does for us, but who he is. What he's like. And we get to know him. <laughs> you know what happens? <laughs> the Holy Spirit shows us, and, and all of a sudden... Well, we still like baseball, and we still like going to work, and we still like doing all the things that we're called to do to take care of ourselves. But as he shows us Jesus, we start to care about what Jesus cares about. We start to care about Jesus and wonder what he's thinking and wonder what he's feeling and wonder what he wants, and, 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 and it starts tearing at us because, because we're, we like playing baseball, and that's fun. But it's not quite as much fun as it used to be because there's other things that we care about more. We're, we're growing up, we're maturing. And, and, but it creates tension because we get to know Jesus and we see what he's about and we see what he cares about and we see that he's not just looking at us, but he's looking at seven billion others and we see that he cares about everyone and we're starting to care about him and we start looking beyond our little five o'clock meeting and, our little, and, and we start seeing more, but we, we still got all of our stuff to do and he messes with us. In love, he shows us Jesus. And, and we begin to realize we've got this kind of divided heart. I love Jesus because he first loved me, which really means I love me and he helps me. But, but then I start loving him. And, and, and then it gets confusing. Now, let me, let me divert just a little bit. It's very, very, it's very Possible. In fact, it's quite easy to quench and grieve the Spirit. Are you aware of that? See, we hear the Holy Spirit all the time. Are you aware of that? I, I don't want to take time to go into that. That's a whole other deal. But He talks to us all the time. He loves us. He's been given to us to help us. We're blind three, four. You all know that we're blind? We see through a glass darkly. We see in part, but He sees the whole thing. And so we, we think we got it. And we're going 100 miles an hour. He says, whoa, 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 slow down. It's going to kill you if you don't. He talk, He helps us all the time. Powerful. We have this spirit, but we, but we haven't been trained. We've been taught, but we haven't been trained and tested to be led by the spirit. We, we, we kind of we keep leading. We, 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 we forget that our covenant, our agreement, the marriage that we got into with Jesus, he comes to live, in, he comes to live inside our home, right? He, he moves into our house. We're the temple. Everybody agree? And, he, and we made a covenant agree with, he started the covenant he, in blood. He shed his blood. And then he came and said, could I come dwell in you? I'll save you. And we said, okay, I'll trust you. Remember? We said, I'll trust you. And then he comes and dwells in us and he talks, but we don't pay much attention to him. Because we're used to doing what we think. We're used to relying on our own understanding. Remember? I'm talking to childish Christians here. Brand new ones. No, um, that's how we used to be. And, and so Jesus talks to us by his spirit all the time. Because he loves us. But sometimes, in fact, a lot, we're not sensitive. And so we just run ahead relying on our own understanding. Remember that? Let, let me talk about some that actually ended up quenching. Go ahead. Here, here we are. Here, here's from Paul. Mark this. There'll be terrible times in the last days. Oh, really? Oh, oh, terrible times, last days. Oh, we know what that is. Antichrist and end of the earth and wars and rumors. We know what that is. Terrible times in the last days. People will be 
Uh, lovers of themselves. Oh, those are the terrible times when it's all about what I think, relying on my own understanding and what I want, me, me, me. That's the terrible times? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, it's not what's going on out there because out there is just the fruit of what's going on in here. So people will be lovers of themselves. Oh, my. Well, let's, maybe it'll get better. Let's try another one. People, oh, lovers of money. These are the, these are the terrible times. People will be. It's not because God's messing up. He died for us and it came to guide us beyond ourselves, right? And that, but we still love money because our dependence is on. And what we're dependent on, we give ourselves to. We're devoted to what we depend on, right? My dad was devoted to his work because he depended on his work. And I don't have time to cover all the bases here. I'm just, but let's try another one. Oh, lovers of pleasure. How many times do we say, I want? I want? Well, these are terrible times. And, and, and then watch this one. Here it is. Rather than lovers of God. Do you truly love me more than these? Do you have agape for me? You're willing to go to prison, lay down your life for me? Lovers of self, lovers of things, lovers of pleasure. Having a form of godliness, external behaviors, even systems of thought, a form, but denying the power by quenching and grieving the spirit. Whoa. I'm just saying that, that we're, we're immature and we're zealous and we're sincere and then the Holy Spirit starts helping us and we see, but we have a choice whether we're going to be led by the spirit or persevere in the flesh. That's how lost people live. They live by the flesh. Are you aware of that? That's how lost people live. We're different. We're spirit-indwelt, spirit-filled with the potential of being spirit-led. Hmm. Let's, maybe, let's go on to something else. So, well, here, here's Paul again. He says, as I've often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. You've got to be kidding. Enemies of the cross of Christ? There'd be enemies? of? Oh, yeah, there are. Oh, oh we know who they are. I mean, martyrs, martyrdom is up all around the world. Those are enemies of the cross of Christ, right? I mean, they're enemies. They're, 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 I mean, there's an enemy. Okay, well, let's take a look at what the enemies of the cross of Christ are. Oh. I should have waited till 12 o'clock to preach this. That, that, that means temporal pleasure, even temporal security. That's what governs their life. Whatever governs you is your God. Uh-huh. We're talking about love growing up to discern what is best today. That's where we're going. Growing up. And childish love, mm-hmm, but... 
But on the way, there has to be a transition from me loving Jesus for what he does for me, which is still fundamentally all about me. And he came to deliver me from me because I and we are the problem when it's about us. How many kings will there be in heaven? Uno. So we have to make a big transition. Let's try another one here. Their mind, you got to be kidding, is on earthly things. I mean, well, at 10 o'clock, Sunday morning, this is getting to be a bad sermon. But all day long, baseball and football, that should, never mind, Chiefs. Never mind, I didn't say anything about that. <laughs> Work. And it, it, it's just God dwells in me, but I'm still leading. I signed up to follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. But, but as long as I do what I think and what I want, I'm the leader. And fundamentally, he, he, he's not doing any good because I'm not following him. I'm doing what I think and want, and that's kind of how lost people live. Are you glad you came today? If I got to come every Sunday, I'd be nice three out of four Sundays. You're getting all my mean sermons. I hope it's truth. We're, we're, we're unique. We're weird. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We're sojourners, right? We, old things passed away. Everything is new. Used to be we were leaders. We signed up to quit leading and to follow. But it's really hard. That's why we have to have a culture. We have to have people who understand the gospel of the kingdom there's a new king. He is Lord, not me. Just you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him. So there, there has to be a, a core of people who understand I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. But boy, there's a price to be paid to quit living as if you were the king. And, and we can't do it by ourselves. We all have the scripture. We all have the spirit. But I will tell you, I know now I'm getting older. I know now that we hardly ever make it on our own if we don't have a set of comrades who are equally devoted to going way beyond from childish, immature love, survive the transitional stage to where it can be said of us, we are normal Christians. It is normal. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is normal for us to grow up. If, you know, a toddler, I don't know, they're two years old, they still have diapers on and they can't hardly talk, they make noise. Well, you expect a toddler to need diapers and to, to toddle and, and even to be fed sometimes. But if at 10 or 12 or 14 spiritually, we're still looking and sounding and acting like toddlers. Something's wrong. It's, it's not normal. It's not the norm. It's not about us. Well, I don't like the worship. Who cares? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, you know. It's not about me. I've been crucified. That's not about super saint language. That, that's, that's the concept of entering the kingdom. I got, I got buried with Christ. The old life is gone. I got buried. I got crucified. I got buried. And I was resurrected to newness of life. What's new? Well, it used to be me, but now it's we. And Jesus lives in me by his spirit. And, and I ain't the leader anymore. He's the leader. That means there's going to have to be quite a bit of self-denial. But if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, talking about Christians here, talking about disciples of Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny him. 
self, her self, take up an instrument of death to themselves in order to follow me because that's what I did, Jesus says to us, his disciples. True? No, false. Huh? Well, let's go ahead. Let me talk about mature love for a moment. You okay? It's going to get better, I hope. Here we go. Mature love. Go ahead. Here is kind of the foundation. He, Jesus, died for all, that those who live would no longer live for themselves. True? But for him. Jesus died to save us from ourselves. It's ourselves individually and collectively. It's making a mess of everything. He came to redeem the world. He came to rescue us from ourselves. A problem is now there are problems right here. So Jesus died for all that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is normal. Churches, churches, to be normal, have a whole bunch of adults. And because they have adults, they've got children, you know, childish. But the adults are living and modeling and coaching and training in such a way that the children are trained. They grow up in a culture where it is normal for everyone to know that it's normal for us not to be selfish. <laughs> Probably won't be invited back again. The world starved for something to live with and live for and die for. They're starved for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, on and on, serving, caring. They're, they're starved for authenticity. They're starved for hope. They're starved for faith in the darkness. They're starved for peace in the midst of storm. They're starved for joy in the midst of pain. They're, they're starved. But if they don't see it in the church, they ain't showing up. It's easy to preach about this. It's not new. Am I saying anything new? But what's missing most of the time is we don't get together and help each other. We don't have parents discipling the new ones and creating a culture of selfless, faithful, disciplined obedience to a king. Amen? We really need each other. If I were going to tell stories from when I was pastor here a hundred years ago or whenever it was. It would include what you call D-groups, which I never liked the title. I've never said this out loud until... Never liked discussion groups. I, I would have been happy with discipling groups as long as it was Jesus discipling us. I could tell you stories from those groups where people were transformed because they got around some people who were laying down their lives. I'm looking at some of them. In fact, the church wouldn't be here if it weren't for those kind of people. As long as there's one, one light still in the church, there's hope. The light hasn't gone out. 
There's a lot of light here. I, if I had time to tell you all the good, you'd be shocked how much good there's sitting right here. I know it. But that's core. That's the beginning. That, that, that's where God's going. He, we're babies to be. She says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Learn of me, learn of me, follow me, become like me. Now go and help others to become like the new you, which is me living in, my, in and through you. See? This is core Christianity. This isn't weird, extreme. Well, it is weird and extreme. But what's weird is that we actually love someone his name is Jesus. That, that's normal. That, that's, it, it is truly normal that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because as you've been around him for a while and get to know him, you can't help but long to live for him. Not just 520, not just 10 o'clock, but all day. In fact, it'll break your heart because you will love him so deeply, you'll see so clearly how far you come from following how much you still lead and it'll, and instead of being an irritation to it, it'll break your heart. My heart's broken. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize how far I have to go. But my tears are out of love for him and I hate it when I lead instead of letting him lead. I want him to be seen and known through me because I love him. And I'm a mess. Saved by grace, it's a good thing. Called to be like him, called to be holy. Agree? Let's try another one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, which again we sang about today, here is, here is the legitimate response when you begin to capture the significance of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies, that you give yourself, you Make an offering, not of 10% of your money, 10% of your time, but your all, your body, your all. You know, as living sacrifices, in the Old Testament, you, um, you know this well, they had sacrifices on the altar, right? They, they took lambs, and they put them on the altar, and it became a burnt offering, and the fire was an aroma to God, Remember? Remember the picture? Well, guess what happens if you quit putting lambs on the altar? There's nothing for the fire to consume, and the fire goes out. You want more fire? Get on the altar. Be consumed by God. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of my life? Does the living God, does Jesus deserve for me to respond fully to him as he's given himself fully for me and to me? Does he deserve? I'm not, this is not guilt. I'm not trying to shame us. I'm trying to have us think. He is worthy. We sing it. But that's the simplest form of what we live is what we really worship. Moment by moment. What we give ourselves to because of what we're depending on is what we really love and trust. So I urge you, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, oh, a living one. Let God consume you wholly like God, other than what we see, righteous, every word, every thought. That's the call. Like Jesus, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in everything you 
do. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it pleases God. It brings pleasure to God. How? When we say, I'm not the leader, I'm going to follow. It's not my will, but your will be done. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Jesus had to fight for three hours to get to that point when I'd be good to tell about that, but you have battles. You still, you're going to want chocolate cake till the day you die. You're going to want a nice soft bed. You want to be comfortable. Jesus left everything. He was very uncomfortable. He left it and came, became a servant of the servants of the servants and offered everything moment by moment. He didn't do it once on the cross. If it hadn't been moment by moment, what he did on the cross wouldn't have been for us, it had been for him because he had ignored his father, which is the essence of sin, and Jesus never did that. He was always aware of being indwelt by and led by the Spirit. He, he didn't say or do anything apart from the Father. Amen? I talked about that first Sunday we were here in Christmas time. So, this is your spiritual act of worship. Please, please, and thank you. This morning's worship time was very meaningful. But, but that's very, very small. That was 18 minutes. You are worshiping all day long something. Something is governing you. Flesh, spirit. It's not like there's 10 bad things I quit doing Got that nailed, and oh, there were four good things I started doing, got that nailed. Now the rest of life is for me to do what I want. No, 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 no. Jesus is with me all the time, and either flesh is ruling me, my flesh, or Jesus is ruling. And God won't force it, He invites it out of my mercy. Couldn't, am I worth your laying down your life for? Being a living sacrifice. Is he? It is for me. It's hard to love him. It's hard to lay down your life for him if you don't know him. But if you know him, you can't hardly help but commit to everything and then be pained when you come short. But that's the growing process. Hope this makes sense. What time do we have to quit? 12 o'clock? 2 o'clock? Uh, I, I could quit right now or I could give us a little bit of how-to. Do you have time? I don't know what time I'm supposed to quit. Don't tell me. Okay, let's go. Let me hurry. I'll hurry. So how do we establish and sustain and grow in love for Jesus? Okay, I'm going to sail through this quickly. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go. This is love. Okay. Not that we love God. I'm talking about love, growing in discernment to know what is best. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Okay, I've been talking about that all day. So, so let me say first, there's some people who actually love God and, and will lay down their lives for him only because in their minds they've heard the truth, God loves you, and, and in their minds can, they can, the, the experience that they have with coming to a knowledge of the truth is sufficient for them to lay down their lives just because they've come to believe that God loves them. And many, many people that talk to me and complain that they're not... They can't believe that God loves them. There are some who believe that God loves them so much that they truly lay down their life for him without any more help, but very few. Sometimes those people get called mystics. I mean, they get called, well, lots of things. But anyhow, that's not the norm. More people, more people, in fact, most people come 
to lay down their lives, come to love God with all their heart, mature love, because they see Jesus on a cross. And they realize, they come to understand, he who had no sin became sin. Not for his sin, but for my sin. And that without him, my life would be devastated. And, and they can see the cross, and we can go to the movies and about Jesus on the cross, and we see that. And when we see what God did, he loved us, and therefore he got into work. He went to work. He sent his son to die for us. And that, for many people, is enough to have them lay down their life entirely. Romans 12, 1 talks about that in essence. But, but there are more people and I run into them much more now than I used to, who believe that if God loves them, he'll give them what they want. He'll heal them. He'll give them a job. And so they ask, and they believe because they're ch- they're, they believe. They, they believe. And then it doesn't happen. And then they begin to wonder, God knows everything, has, cares about me, knows everything, has all power, but, but I'm going through this problem. I asked him to help me. He said he would. He didn't. I'm not sure he loves me. It goes on all the time. And then they get an offense against God. And then they give up. They walk away. I have no idea the percentage of people who live in that experience because their idea of God's love was giving them what they wanted in the moment based on their temporary issues. God, God made the flesh. He loves the flesh. He wants us to be healthy and wealthy. Are you, uh, that's really true. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that many children in the Lord assume that God's love is like their love, which means when they love, they give whatever the other one wants because they're immature. They haven't learned that love discerns what is best. So for them, love means giving others what they want. And they assume that that's what God is like. So therefore, he gives me what I want if he loves me. And they conclude either he doesn't love me or he has no clue what I'm going through. He doesn't listen to me or he has no power. And they say, I'm not buying it. And they reject God because he's not loving them the way they think he should. We okay with that? It's very real. I won't ask how many are sitting here that are fighting that battle right now. People talk to me all the time. Let me say something a little bit dangerous. God loves you so much, he would make you for you to, for you to have the possibility of forever and ever and ever experiencing the delights of entering into the relationship, the family of God. And it'll be glorious beyond our imagination. He loves you so much that he would die for you. We all would probably say, okay. But let me whisper to you, God seldom overpowers you or the factors around you. He can. He's God. Seldom does he. I don't have time to prove that. But I will tell you what he does, and here's how you can interpret his love. My sheep hear my voice. He does talk to you all the time. Out of love for you, he comes to dwell in your heart, which is a mess. Can you imagine what Jesus experienced in our heart when we are so selfish, we represent him so badly, and he patiently, mercifully stays with us? We identify with him, and then we act 
the opposite of him. Can you imagine what it means for Jesus to stay with us? But he does stay with us, and he talks to us by his spirit. And by the spirit, he says, don't. Run. Do. He convicts us of sin and righteousness. He guides us. He teaches us. If you will learn to interpret God's love, not only that it's in his heart, but he acted on it in the cross, and then he come to dwell in you. He's come to dwell in you, and dwelling in you, he guides you into all truth, and the truth will set you from the junk that's clinging. It'll empower you to do what you need. The truth will save your life if you believe and obey the truth. He'll save you. And we need to understand that God didn't promise us the bed of roses that we've made him out to be in our culture. He promised us a narrow way. He promised us tribulation. Is that okay? But he promised to save us now and eternally for those who follow him. Aren't you glad that God sees the heart? He doesn't see the performance. Keep that in mind. He knows your intention. There's not a person in here today who couldn't decide. I have decided to follow Jesus again. Better. More. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Amen? So, let me hurry on. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know. We not only hear about it, but we agree. That's what it means to know God, to be one with Him. The two became one. We know, and we depend on. Here's a fight. I de- God loves me. I'm going through. God loves me. He's talking to me. I will know what I need to know if I'll pay attention. There's lots of noise in our hearts. Jesus had to fight three hours in the garden. Lots of noise. We have to slow down. Treat God as if He's worth us taking time to listen to. And He talks to us throughout the day. But to rely on God means to listen for Him to lead. And now that's a whole other issue. We need to work on that together. We need to train people in that. Let me push ahead. Let's go ahead. And then ultimately, right in the same context, why do we love? Because He first loved us. Don't doubt it. Know it. Rely on it. Don't misinterpret it. That because you didn't get the soft bed of roses that someone promised you, that means God doesn't love you. No, He loves you too much to reinforce your selfishness. He wants to deliver you from yourself, save you for others, for Him, and for yourself. Also.